Welcome to the Mindful Movement Show. We're your hosts, Tony and Amanda Johnson. This is a podcast dedicated to helping moms and dads heal their hurts, transform their health from the inside out, and become the best people, partners, and parents they can possibly be. Our mission is to normalize struggle and profile stories of resilience, character building, and the process of healing and becoming. In season one, we spotlight healers from a variety of modalities who are also parents. We hope you enjoy the show. Morning, morning, Mindful and Fit fam. This is Tony Johnson. And Amanda Johnson. Tuning in for the Mindful and Movement show. We are so blessed and honored to have Larry Hagner. He is a husband, father of four boys, and the founder of the Dad Edge podcast, and movement. His mission is to empower men to live and lead legendary lives by offering them skills, tools, and community to create legendary marriages, epic connections with their kids, master their personal finance, and optimize their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health as they lead their families with confidence, grace, and patience. Larry is a best-selling author, speaker, and an amazing mentor to Amanda and myself. We're grateful to have him on the show today to discuss his background and upbringing, some of the struggles and challenges he's faced as an entrepreneur, a husband, and a father, and his process of becoming the transformative leader he is. Larry, welcome to the Mindful Movement Show. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Welcome. Oh, it's great to <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me, you guys. This is super cool. I'm I'm glad to get in on the on the early stages of your show. Well, yes, thank you so much for spending some time to talk with us and um maybe just tell us a little bit about where you're calling in from this morning, how you're doing. I'm doing great. Uh so by the way, if you hear a, a massive dog bark, that's my dog over there on the uh, on the couch <laughs> back there. Uh, he's 160 pounds, so he's he doesn't have a bark. He has more of like a roar. So if he, <laughs> I walked him earlier this morning, so he's passed out. But if you hear him bark, you know if somebody comes to the door, that's what that is. But um, yeah, I'm Fair from enough. St. Louis, Missouri, and like you guys said, I have four boys: 16, 14, uh, one that's about to be nine here in two weeks, and six. Been married for 19 years. Known my wife though for 26 years, and you know the the journey of fatherhood, man. It's uh, it's it's been a journey, and it's been an uh, an educational one at that. And you know, I I host Dad Edge and facilitate Dad Edge, and you know, still an idiot to, to, to a lot of degrees and still an imperfect father and, and a moron. And I make a, a gazillion mistakes every day, but, but I enjoy the heck out of it. And it's, it's so much fun. Yes, sir. And one of the things I like most about you and your presence and your character is that sense of humility, that sense that you can always be building, growing, learning, and developing as a person, a partner, and a parent. One of the primary goals of our show is to normalize struggle and to have vulnerable conversations that promote tools and skills for first-time parents, specifically those who have survived adverse childhood experiences. And so I know a lot about your story and your upbringing and your background and experiences, but I'd like you to share some of those starting at an early age, because we fundamentally believe that those shape how we show up in the world as people, parents, partners, and in your case, a coach. So would you care to share kind of a big picture understanding of your upbringing and experiences and how they shape how you show up in the world? Yeah. So I would say, you know, looking back, you know, 30,000 foot view, and I'll kind of go through some step-by-step -step milestone ages for you guys, just so you get some context. But half my childhood was spent without a father figure. And then the other half was spent with this more of like a revolving door of different men that my mom was either married to or dating who were, you know, would be, could be father figures, but there was always an element of toxicity, substance, abuse, that kind of thing. It was always like, it was the same guy all the, see, there you go. Told you. There's uh, it was always the same guy, right? Yeah. It's always the same. It was always like the same guy, just different face, different name. And so I was born in 1975, but my parents were married in 71 and they were married for four years before they had me. And then after I was born, they just got divorced. Uh, it was really, I mean, they were kids. They were 21 when they got married. And so they were really young when they got married. And then they got divorced right after I was born. I, I never knew my dad. My dad, I mean, my relationship with him and my mom, it just dissolved, you know, like pretty much, I, I don't know how long it took. I don't know the details, but to me, it was overnight, but I'm sure it was longer than that. But I never knew him, bottom line. I never knew him. Uh, it was just me and my mom until I was four. Uh, I still remember men coming to pick up. I am 47. I still remember men coming to pick up their kids from school, from preschool. 
So I knew what a dad was growing up, but I knew I didn't have one, but I didn't really feel that I was missing out on anything because in my four-year-old brain, like I came to my own conclusion that moms just find dads eventually. And my mom just hadn't found her dad yet. So I was like, oh, no big deal. She'll find him eventually. And then first time she ever brought a man home, I'll never forget it. She told me that day, she's like, hey, I'm going to have a friend over for dinner tonight. I'd really like for you to meet him. He's a really special friend. And I heard the word he, and I was like, huh. I was like, that's kind of interesting. I was like, I wonder if she found my dad, right? So this guy comes walking in. It's 1979. He's wearing a three-piece suit. He was a white collar data software engineer for a computer company. And he comes walking in, trench coat, mustache, briefcase, the whole nine yards, double Windsor knot tie, and comes walking in. And I, I'll never forget like seeing a man walk through my front door for the first time. And I shook this guy's hand. And literally, the very first thing that rattled off my mouth was, are you going to be my dad? And I just was like glowing, you know, curiosity. And, and this guy, I just remember it being very awkward in the room after I, I dropped the bomb of that question. But my mom, I think, kind of took that as a sign. It was almost like maybe a, a Jerry Maguire moment for her where she sees her little kid, you know, hug, you know, Tom Cruise. And she's like, oh, my God, like this is maybe this is fate or destiny. I think my mom kind of felt that way. And she ended up marrying him six months later and they were married for six wow. years. And what I can tell you is that that six years was pretty darn rough. Started out really good, but ended really bad. Just every year they were together, their relationship just dismantled even more. Like there was so much fighting and abuse and drinking. And my dad had a very heavy hand and didn't, didn't, you know, didn't hesitate to hit me, you know, didn't hesitate to push me down or throw me around that kind of thing when he was, when he was mad or drinking, they got divorced when I was 10 and he left, never seen him since. And I started asking questions at that point in time because I was like, well, I, I, I know I didn't come from this guy and I know about the birds and the bees. So where did I come from? And I had no clue. I remember asking my mom like, hey, wh where did I come from? Who, who's my real dad? And she's like, well, I was actually married before and I had no idea. So a couple of years passed by and I won't go into the details just for sake of time, but I ended up meeting my dad at 12 and it was not, it was not on purpose. It was a total accident. And I will never forget being 12 and my mom was dating a few guys here and there and all of them were just like disaster. And I remember like my dad meeting him and seeing him and I was like, oh my gosh, I kind of look like this guy a little bit. And like, this is really, cause it's my real dad. Right. And I was so excited. He was remarried, had a two-year-old son, another one on the way. And we hung out for like five months. And he only lived three miles from us, which was crazy to me. I never met him, but that's how close he lived. Wow. And he came to all my Little League games and we hung out every week. And then right around five months or so, he started to kind of drift. Or I, I felt like there was this stress that was on him and there was just something not right. The best way I can describe it was imagine that you're dating somebody, right? So Amanda, for you, it's a guy, you know, for obviously for me and Tony, it's a woman, but imagine you're dating somebody and they're just not into you anymore, but they haven't told you yet, but you know, it's coming. That's what it felt like. And I'll never forget picking up the phone after like about a month of feeling that. And I was like, Hey man, like what's going on? I'm 12 and talking to like a mid thirties guy. And I'm like, Hey, what, what's yeah. going on? Like, I just feel like something's wrong. And that's when he told me, he's like, Hey, it's me. It's not you. I can't really do this right now. It's too complicated, Ugh. you know, and he just wants to start over and that was it. And he left. And I remember that really kind of spiraled me pretty bad, like losing my dad, my real dad for the second time. At this point, there were three big abandonments, you know, in my life at 12. And I just kind of gave up. I failed eighth grade. I actually failed the eighth grade, had to do eighth grade twice, um, got really heavy, really fat, um, ate my feelings away. And then I did eighth grade again and got into a decent high school, actually an all boys college prep high school. Doing eighth grade again was like the best thing ever happened to me. Um, lost a bunch of weight, turned my life around. My mom continued to date and marry just these losers constantly. Went away to college, never went back home after that. Graduated college, married my college sweetheart. Fast, you know, I'm, I'm in medical device sales, successful, lucrative career. I'm 30 years old, been married for a couple of years, first son on the way. I'm in a Starbucks here in St. Louis. Hadn't seen my dad in 18 years. My dad came into that Starbucks getting his morning coffee. The total wow. fluke. Had no idea, right? Wow. Um, he and I ended up connecting. Here we are 17 years later. We have a relationship. And me starting Dad Edge uh, really started with a, a very dark moment. I'm happy to share that with you. But that was my journey as a kid and into adulthood. Yeah, and, and you and I share so much about our upbringing in the sense that we both faced father wounds and had to confront abandonment. 
and kind of use these experiences as a catalyst to promote growth, connection, and development for others. Can you talk about how like the series of events or the journey that led you to turn these painful moments into your purpose as a person and a coach? Yeah, I mean, I was in, I would say for the first six years I was a dad, I had my, my two oldest boys, they were six and four. I thought, I was like, it was really, really important to me to be a good dad and to be a good husband. Like for me, I did not want to, I, I'd i seen three divorces that my mom went through and a revolving door of just other disaster relationships in between. So it was really important to me to have a good successful marriage and to be a good dad. And I made a lot of promises to myself that I didn't keep, meaning that I was going to be a good husband no matter what. So I had the intent and the desire, but there was something missing and I'll get to what that thing was missing. I had the intent and desire. I was like, I will never strike my kids out of anger. I will keep my patience and my calm with my kids. I want to connect with my kids on a high level. Like I had this desire. So the two desires to have this great fulfilling marriage and this great you know, connection with my kids, I was failing at it. And the big missing ingredient for me, and I didn't know it at the time, I did. it wasn't a lack of desire and it wasn't a lack that I didn't want it. It's just, I did not know how to get it. I had, it was basically like trying to drive, you know, from one place to another that's really far away without GPS or a map. Just like, hey, go, go figure it out. There's highways, you know, there's north, south, east, and west. You'll figure it out. And that's a really poor way to go about it. And unfortunately, that's the way we all go about it. And it led me to a really dark place as a dad. My four year old, who's 14 year old, he's 14 years old now, but he was four at the time. We were getting ready to move. I had a really bad day at work that day. I lost a huge customer, my biggest customer. It's going to impact our income for the next 12 months. And I just remember I was packing up our house and I was just such in a foul mood. And, you know, I packed up my kid's playroom. It took me like three and a half hours. I had boxes like from floor to ceiling, like their playroom and had everything packed up. My four-year-old comes walking down and he... You know, I told him, I was like, hey, he wanted to play in his playroom. I was like, I I left some toys out for you here. I was like, all these are packed up. I was like, I'm going to go take a break. I was like, please don't unpack anything. What do you think a four-year-old is going to do? Right. I don't even know why I expected (laughs) anything different. I just don't. I'm not (laughs) looking back on it. Right. So I come downstairs and he had pulled out like half of everything that I had packed up. It took me hours. And I was like, oh my God. I got so angry and it was a knee-jerk reaction and I spanked him on his rear end. And I always told myself, I'm not going to hit my kids. And I spanked him and unfortunately I spanked him and he hit, he lost his balance and he fell and something really just, my heart broke in that moment. Like I was like seeing my son topple over because I spanked him was something I'll never forget. But the thing that I'll really never forget is realizing what I had just done and I went to help him up and he looked at me like he was terrified of me. And Mm -hmm. that, when I saw that look in his eye, I didn't just see my son who was scared of me. I saw me and how I grew up. And I just went into my office and lost it. I mean, a lot of guys, like, they're like, you spanked your kid. Who cares? Like, kids get spanked. But to me, it was different. I did not want to spank my kids because I knew what it felt like to be hit. And it was in that moment, I really started taking a good look at my life. And I was like, what am I good at? Like, what am I good at? And there wasn't many things, but I was, there was a few. I was good at fitness, and I was good at my job, and I was good at martial arts. And I'll tell you why. I was good at fitness because I have a four-year degree in exercise science. So I was educated. I was trained. I was good at my job because I went through 90 days of diehard training in order to be able to sell those surgical devices. And I had to get certified in several different things, continue education for, you know, to even keep my job, you know, every year. And then I looked at something like martial arts, which I loved. It was a huge part of my life. I was like, why am I decent at martial arts? Well, I go to class three times a week and I have an instructor, I have a mentor, I have someone who polishes up the things that I'm doing and I practice. What have I done with marriage and fatherhood? That's a big fat nothing. Like I'm winging it. And here's the crazy thing that I think, and whenever I share this on other podcasts, like, I don't know, it's just such a strong reminder for me when I say it, but when I say it to to the host, it's like, if you really look at marriage, right? And if you look at parenting, our society and the way, and we even expect this of ourselves, we just expect that we're going to wing it and figure it out and it's going to be glorious and it's going to be great. And if it's not, we come down on ourselves horribly. There is no other area in our entire existence as a human being that we go about life that way. I don't know about you guys, but the next time I need surgery, I'm not going to go to a guy off the street says, yeah, I watched a few YouTube videos, but don't worry, I can figure it out. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like, or a cop, it takes 990 hours to go from cadet to officer of training. 
we don't do that in the military. We don't do that in careers. We don't do that in college, but we do that in our most two most important relationships. I don't, I don't know why that is. So the thing that was lacking there was really the skills and the training. And that's something that I've taken with great pride and, and humility as well from the dad edge in terms of having a community of men to do life with and to learn from and to basically understand that you don't have to be alone in your painful moments. So I'd actually like you to zoom in on that moment where you ended up spanking your son and he fell over. What were the series of steps that lead you led you to zoom out and consider what you're good at and move toward the dad edge? Like go back to that moment and tell me how you went from the reaction of seeing yourself and the pain and hurt that you've lived through to creating the dad edge. I honestly think a lot of it, I'm a faith-based person. I think a lot of it was just divine intervention. I remember going into my office and I remember sitting there and what do you do when you have a bad moment as an adult? You, you distract yourself with some sort of technology. And at the time, (laughs) you know, it was 2012, you know, I mean, Facebook was kind of big at the time and it was kind of getting bigger. And so I went into my office and I got on Facebook. Like I was just like, I'll scroll through everybody else's life. So I don't think about how crappy my own is and what I just did. Right. And the catalyst to this whole thing was when I saw this button in the left-hand corner that said, create a page. And I had never created a page, never had followers or whatever. Like I was just a normal dude. And I remember I just clicked that button and I did not know what I was really doing. And I just remember this thing popped up and said, what do you want to name your page? And the words, the good dad project, just, I just typed it. And that was like, when I started thinking about like, what do I need to do to, to figure this out? Cause I'm obviously not doing it well. What do I need to do? And that's when I started thinking about those areas in my life. Like, what am I good at? Well, I'm good at these things for one common denominator. It's because I've learned how, and I'm in a constant practice, constantly learning. It never ends constantly learning how to hone those skills. Well, why does marriage and fatherhood have to be any different than that? Why can't I learn those skills? So I created that page and I, for literally just myself, like I was the good dad project. That, that was me. I was like, I'm going to be this project. And I created that page because I made a commitment. I was like, I'm going to learn one thing new every day as it relates to connecting with my wife or connecting with my kids, being a more patient father to have better conversations, like to just be more resilient, whatever, a better human being. And I'm just going to put it right here. And I, I never did it for a following, never did it for any of that stuff. It was my own personal, like online kind of like diary, right? I didn't even know what a page was. So I started doing that. And I started getting like this following. And then I'll never forget the very first time. And the following got kind of big and the engagement sort of got big. And this before I started even blogging or had a website. And I'll never forget, I, I got a DM from a woman, right? And I'll never forget her name. Her name was Brandy Lockstamper. And she contacted <laughs> me and she said, hey, we want you to come speak at our mom's group at this church. And I was like, speak on what? Like, right. And she's like, here's my number. Call me. So I called her and I was like, Hey, I was like, I got your message. She goes, yeah. She goes, we want you to come out and speak on what the good dad project is. And I was like, it's just a page that I have. And she's like, yeah, we really like it though. A lot of us follow it. And we really like the voice that you have for, for men and you're very authentic and very imperfect. And you just sort of like air out all your dirty laundry all the time. I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, we want you to come and speak. And I was like, well, how many people would I be speaking to? She's like, oh, we have the biggest group of women in the area. There's like 300 of us. And I was like, oh my no God. I was like, what do you want me to speak on? I was like, what do you want me to speak on? She goes, we want you to speak on being a, a, a better father. I was like, you got the wrong guy. I was like, that's not me. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to figure this out. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, no, no, no. That's what we really like about it, that you don't know what you're doing, but you've learned a few things, but you're just so authentic about it. So I did it and I had no clue what I was going to do. And I just spoke and spoke from my heart and they really liked it. But that was like the first, I guess, engagement that I had with this whole thing. And and then I started to kind of wonder, I was like, maybe there's something here. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So from what you're sharing, it sounds like you're very like introspective. And um, I know we're talking about leadership a little bit before we started the call and in leadership studies, they have this idea of the balcony view, you know, being able to get up high and to be able to look down on a situation and critically think about what's going on. And you seem to be really good at engaging that view in different aspects of your life. You shared a little bit about the moment that you took a step back and questioned or wanted to continue to develop as a father. I'm curious if you can kind of speak to 
what that balcony view looked like in your relationship with your partner. You know, you mentioned that you you felt like you had to grow or there were challenges as as a husband as well. What did that journey look like? And kind of what was that moment where you were able to take that balcony view and say, you know, something might be able to change here or I could be doing something better. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, that's a laundry list of things I could have been doing better. And, uh, <laughs> you know, one of them, you know, luckily I'm, I would, you know, I'm married to a very patient woman. And what I mean by that is like, I just had no relationship skills whatsoever. My wife kind of came from the opposite of what I came from. In other words, like she came from this great family. There's been not one, her mom is one of six kids and her, her family's huge. Like she has like 30 first cousins, but like generationally, like her family's wow. really, really big. If you go back four and five generations, not one person in her family has ever been divorced. Not one ever. Wow. I've never even heard of anything like that. So in her family, you're married for life. You know, it's kind of like I've, you're my lobster, right? From friends, but like you're married for life. <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that was kind of like, that's, that, that was the way my, 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 uh, my wife was brought up is that, you know, you just, you get married and you, you stick it out and that you don't want to be in an abusive situation, but you stick it out. So I just didn't really have any skills. Like I didn't have communication skills. Like if, they, if, we, if we had an argument, I would shut down or I would, she'd come to me to talk and I would give her advice, right? And then I'd get upset if she didn't take my advice, right? Because like I had no clue that women talk, not because they want advice, but because they want to connect. So I didn't know that back then. And plus like, I didn't, I never really did, I didn't do anything horrible, right? And I, I mean, I never hit her. I've, I've never called my wife a name ever, but I just, I wasn't showing up. I was probably showing up maybe a quarter of how I do now because I just didn't know how. Here's the other crazy thing. I, I look at this now. I didn't know it then, but I'm looking back on it. I remember it now. I remember having this perception and it made sense to me at the time that if I don't get too close to my marriage and if I don't get too close to my kids, but I just sort of kind of have like this arm's length approach to those two relationships, I won't lose them and I won't screw them up too bad. Like that's how screwed up that that perspective was because like I kind of just saw myself as like I'm not really maybe even worthy of this, right, in a way. But I would say over time, the thing that has really honed Jessica and I's marriage because we've been married for 19 years and I, would t I will tell you the past 10 years and especially the last five years have never been better in our relationship. That's awesome. But it's because we both work at it. You know, and we both come to the table with curiosity and conversations and, and we're constantly pursuing each other. We're constantly dating each other. We're very respectful of each other. We publicly show the kids, you know, in front of them how much we love each other. I'm very complimentary of my wife. She's complimentary. We're respectful to each other in front of the kids. We're affectionate in front of the kids. So, you know, our kids get grossed out by us, you know, which is our goal. So. <laughs> And in public on your show, you've talked about the code of conduct you and Jessica share. I'd like you to share that with our listeners and how that came to be. Was it organic? Was it something that you sat down and you wrote down? Kind of discuss your code of conduct and how it came to be. It's been very organic, actually. I mean, we've, we've whittled it down to the top things that we don't do, right? But it's always been pretty darn organic in our relationship. And I, I would also say this, too, that I think a lot of it had to do with her because she's a, she came from a family that didn't really, they didn't really fight. Like, you know, they didn't really argue. She didn't really see her parents like battle her. She always saw her parents be respectful. I always saw the opposite. So women that I had dated before her, they were like your typical kind of toxic relationships at time to time, right? Where like you'd fight and there would be like name calling and like toxic things that were said and old things, old wounds that we brought up and things slapped in your face and that kind of thing. And I mean, I'll never forget. I was even in a long-term relationship where this chick like would slap me and I would just like, let it happen. Like that just blows my mind. You know, that's back in, that was back in high school and college, but I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Like tolerating that. But anyway, with my wife and I, one of the things that we do is, uh, we never call each other a name, not even joking. So like, I'll never even laugh and be like, <laughs> you're such a bitch, you know? Never, you know, even if it's just in joking or like, she'll never call me a name. So we never call names. If we have a disagreement, we don't call them a fight because we don't battle. But if, it, if we have a disagreement, we speak to each other in no different of a voice tone than what you hear right now. The other thing too, is if our, if our disagreement gets up to the point where we can tell the other person needs a break and we never get to a heated point, normally if we have 
if, if a person gets to that point, it's because maybe something horrible happened that day, you know, to, to the other person. Like we just went through something. I won't go into it with my eight year old went through something at, at school that was like devastating. And I was so, I was so angry about it. I was so pissed about it that we were talking one night and I was so angry that she came in to give me a hug. And I was like, can you, can you give me like 45 minutes to go just cool down? Like, I just need a minute. And she's like, yeah, of course. So like being able to, and I do that for her too, like being able to read each other. Right. So it's like, you can tell when is it, when is the other person like just need space and you need to pick up the slack with the kids or whatever else. The other thing too, is we don't ever, um, use past transgressions as, as, as a way to fight in the present time. So like if she did something that really made me upset, you know, years ago or vice versa, we never bring that stuff up. I'm like, oh yeah, you remember that time 10 years ago well, you did this, this, and this. So, and, and the other thing too, is like our conversations are more solution based than they are problematic complaining. Yes, sir. And I think that that speaks to some of the safeguards that you have in place to prevent toxicity from showing up in your relationship. If we'd like to go to the flip side and speak about like for our relationship, we have five keys, the five keys that we'll always go back to when times are tough to reignite spark or intimacy or connection. Um, we also have done a really in-depth job trying to define what love means to us. We both have been divorced. We've both been in relationships where love burned out and where love became toxic. And so from the very first you know, series of dates that we went on, when we started to become more in love with each other, we've had very deep discussions of what love meant. We actually joke on our first date, we talked about all the things you shouldn't talk about. Politics, divorce, philosophy, philosophy religion. Oh, nice. yeah. You guys broke all the rules. <laughs> we just did it all. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really curious, have you had conversations with your wife about what love means? And it, whether you have or not, what do you believe to be like a few of the keys for your relationship to remain intimate, close and connected? So one of the things that my wife and I do is we come to conversations with each other with curiosity and appreciation. So that's that's one rule that we follow, meaning most individuals, most human beings, most interactions that you come to a conversation or an interaction with expectation and agenda. Hey, Tony, I'm going to come and talk to you about this because I want this to happen at the end of our conversation. Right. We don't ever use conversation as a way to explore or create more depth in our relationship. We, we use it as a way to be like, I have this agenda that, that I want to cover with you in this conversation. And this is the way I hope it plays out at the end. Right. We do this in marriage. We do this with our kids, you know, all the time. So that's, that's one thing that we do. Uh, we also, uh, we are big proponents of date nights. My wife and I have to have a date night at least every other week, at least, you know, where we're not dad and we're not mom we're husband and wife, we're a couple. And we use those date nights to not just go out and have a meal and you know stare at each other. We use those date nights to really get to know each other over and over and over again, You know, to fall in love over and over and over again. And we can always tell when we're not keeping that cadence with our date nights because we, we can feel some distance between us. Not, not negative, but it's just sort of like, I don't feel as close to you as I normally do, right? And, um, the other thing too, that we do is we want to teach our kids how to have a functional relationship. So I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here and it's, <laughs> it's, it's done out of love, but I'll, I'll tell you that I think most marriages and studies have shown this, right? So everyone knows that the divorce rate's 50%. The things that people don't know is that the 50% that stay together, studies and polls and surveys have shown that people are divided up into three different camps and they're divided up actually equally, which is kind of crazy. So 33%, 33%, and 33%. 33% of marriages that stay together can actually say that they're probably like you guys and they're like me and Jessica. They're like, man, this is great. Like, I love it. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'd really change anything. This is awesome, right? It's everything I ever wanted. That's the first one third. And there's a common denominator within that, within that couples, within those couples. Then there's the second camp. And the second camp is kind of like they're on the fence. They're like, it's okay. It's not the best. I don't really think I want to get divorced, but... You know, it's not necessarily what I signed up for, but I guess it's tolerable. We'll just kind of coexist and be intimate every now and again, you know, raise these kids and whatever. We're friends, I guess. 
And then that that's camp number two. Camp number three is these people, these couples have completely and totally individual lives. They have no connection to each other whatsoever. They're strangers living, living underneath the same roof. Chances are they're probably not sleeping in the same bedroom. They stay together because it's too much of a hassle to get divorced or they're just waiting for the kids to move out, but they have completely and totally just separate lives. Now, here's what I'll tell you. If you're in camp one, that's really 12% of marriages that actually work out. Everybody focuses uh, focuses on 50% divorce rate. Mm. What they don't focus on is about 88% of marriages don't really work out the way we think. Yeah. The one common denominator within that first camp is it's what you guys are probably doing. It's what me and Jessica are doing. It's like, hey, there's growth to be had every day. We're 1% better every single day. We know that there's work involved. We know that there's self-work involved. And we know we know that as a married couple, we need to work together and it's constantly changing. It's constantly dynamic. And we don't necessarily look in the rear view of our rear view mirror of our relationship being like, I wish it was like back back then what it was. Because a lot of people do that. Well, I wish it was like it was before we had kids. It's not. It's never going to be. But it can be better if you look forward, right? We can go co-create that. But here's where the rant begins. A lot of <laughs> married couples just go on this total automatic pilot and this, 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 they almost like just numb themselves out. Like I'm busy with work or I'm numbed out at home or I'm smoking weed as a dad or a mom or I'm drinking a lot of alcohol and I don't really, they're just sort of there existing. And that drives me almost crazier than not making a decision either way. Because what are you teaching your kids? You're teaching your kids just to numb out and this is what marriage is. And you just sort of like hang out and no, you know, your kids have a front row seat to your marriage and mm-hmm. they're looking at us, right? As like, that is the way a relationship should be, right? Whether it's good or bad, if, if it's a toxic relationship, I, I'll never forget growing up, like my mom, like had all these toxic relationships. And in, in my mind, I was like, well, I guess that's what relationships are. Sooner or later, you know, they start out really, really great. Then they fight a lot. Then they kind of make up and they're happy and then they fight a lot and then they kind of make up and they're happy and then they come to an end. And that's mm-hmm. relationships. That's not the way my wife was raised. So if you think about it, we have this amazing opportunity to show these kids what a functional relationship looks like. And once these kids get get to be teens, you know, a lot of moms and dads are like, why can't my son or daughter like find a normal like relationship? It's all these crazy roller coaster rides. <laughs> well, look at what what have you been showing them, right? Over the years. So that's the way we view our relationship. We're like, man, we, we got to be on point with this. And if we're not, we're doing not only us a disservice, but them too. I think it's really powerful to understand marriage as something that is a conscious choice to choose your perfectly imperfect partner every single day and to do the inner work yeah. and the collective work to grow into the model of parent and partner that you want to show your kids. And understanding that even the most ideal relationships or even the most um, connected relationships experience moments of struggle. So the follow-up I have for you on that, what I don't believe is a rant, I think it's a very profound statement, is what would you say are the first steps that someone in the latter two camps, either the just hanging out, making it work, not really happy or satisfied, or the strangers living under the same roof, what are two steps that you say that anyone listening who's in those two camps can take today to up-level their performance and to get to the, the what you're calling the first camp? That's a great question. So number one, forget, forget the fact that you can do this alone mm. and forget the fact that you can't do it without learning skills. Like if, if, so like for instance, we've got great data on men who want to come join us in Dadage Alliance Mastermind because we, we have men apply. Now, here's the funny thing. We put that application process in place for a couple of different reasons. Number one, uh, our application is seven questions. This will blow your mind. The application is seven questions. And originally we wanted to create this application because we we're like, hey, we, we want to know some information on these men before they get on a live call with us. You know, like what's on your, like, listen, man, like what's on your mind and heart? What has your attention, right? What do you want to do? And, you know, the application process takes maybe six minutes and here's what we have found out. And I, I'm sharing those things with you, the six questions in six minutes for, for good reason. So I put that application in place years and years ago because I just want to get to know the guys. Well, what we've learned now, we've got great data with well over probably 2000 applications at this point. What is on the mind and heart of men who want 
to level up, like quote unquote, level up or grow, right? But we have 80% of our applications of men who want to uh, level up their marriage. They want to create an extraordinary marriage. And then when you, if you get that even a bit deeper, a lot of, a, a lot of women and a lot of guys, we stereotype, we stereotype ourselves or we're stereotyped that we just want more sex. That's not what a guy wants. We got the data to prove it. What a guy really wants is better communication with his wife. Not kidding. He wants to bet, he wants to have better conversations with his wife. Now, I really want your audience to know that because again, we're stereotyped into like we're just like these physical beings, but that's not what guys really want. They want that emotional connection with their wife. So when I ask a guy, "Hey, tell me what what are we celebrating if you have better communication with your wife?" And most of the time they cannot articulate it. They just they're like, "Well, I want it better than it is today." Well, that's not measurable. Well, I want more communication. Those are the two things we hear. Well, if you had more communication, what would you do with it? And then that's when you're like, you see them like, I'm not sure. Like if I had more time to talk to my wife, I, I, I don't know. That's the gap. So for instance, we teach nine skills within communication alone with, with, with a man. So like tactical empathy, right? Being able to emotionally label your wife, ask generative questions, create a vision around your marriage, right? Create core values that is your compass in marriage, right? Create an environment of psychological safety where you as a man can feel safe sharing anything with your wife free from blame, shame, and pain. And the same goes for her. She can share these things with you and you can be resilient to take these things on and to create an environment without judgment or shame of whatever is on her mind and heart, right? It's really hard to do. So when you think about, you know, like what, what's one, two or three things, what's one or two things that married couples can do? Number one is don't try to do it by yourself. You know, get a coach, get a mentor, get a mastermind, get a therapist. Like my wife and I have seen the same marriage therapist for 20 years. And we look at therapy like an oil change. Like you don't drive 30,000 miles in your car without getting the oil change. Your engine's going to blow up, but we'll do that in our relationships. Right. But my wife and I will still check in at least three times a year with our marriage therapist just because we'll reach a point in our marriage or raising these kids where we're like, I don't really know what to do. Do you? Nope. I don't either. Okay. Let's go ask Tom. He'll know what to do. And we do. <laughs> and so like, so number one, don't think you have to do it alone. And number two, just know at anything else in life, whether it's your job, whether it's fitness, martial arts, whether it's being a better speaker whether it's, you know, going out and getting your master's degree, you have to learn, you have to take courses, you have to have someone teaching you something. Your marriage is no different. So learn skills. And most importantly, if I could whittle it down to the most focused thing possible, learn skills around communication. Mm -hmm. Th that alone, my God, I wish somebody would have knocked me upside the head before I got married and be like, hey man, if you really want your marriage to thrive, just learn these three things, just these three things alone. <laughs> And it will make a ton of difference. And before Amanda follows up with a question, I just got to say that I'm a communication professor and I still needed focused skill building around my marriage and around being a parent, especially coming from models of toxicity and models of narcissism, empathy um, in, in my parents. I needed to know that my pain didn't have to become shame because I viewed it alone. And if I could offer one important and meaningful plug for the Data Edge Alliance, it saved my life um, in so many ways. This is not something I've said publicly, but I feel comfortable enough to share it now. On December 25th, 2021, I looked over to Amanda after a particularly volatile um, day and in which I became my father in so many ways. I didn't use physical violence, but I yelled at my one and a half year old in a way that is not acceptable and created a shame spiral in my own mind that led me to say, maybe your lives would be better if I wasn't in it. And the very next week I joined the Data Edge Alliance and have gotten back to my center. So even a communication professor who was literally that semester teaching interpersonal communication, <laughs> the course in which I offer skills and tools for people to become better communicators in their relationships, I was still struggling and hurting and needed a community of people that I could lean into to know that my pain didn't have to be shameful. And so thank you for, in many ways, giving me tools, skills, and community to save my own life. And I really do think that that's 
very important for anyone listening to know that if you are struggling, there's always an opportunity to seek community and support because the world is a better place with you in it. Man, I didn't, I didn't know that. And, and thank you so much for sharing that with, with me and, and your audience. Somebody in your audience is going to be blessed from hearing you say that because they're not going to feel alone. You know, unfortunately back in, it was actually back in 2021 in January, we lost a Dad Edge Alliance member. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody. Uh, this was a very good man. You know, he was just trying to level up his marriage a little bit and nothing was on fire, you know, and he had two beautiful, he has two beautiful kids. Um, do you mind if I just storytell a little bit please, please. on this? Cause I, I think it's being in this space with men for 10 plus years now. I don't know if I've ever met a man that taking his own life had not crossed his mind to some degree. I've seen men in the hospital you know, where they basically wave the white flag saying like, either I admit myself or I'm going to kill myself. Right. So, and I was there myself back in 2015. And mine was because, um, I hit a horrible snag with my sleep. Unfortunately, I went 33 days with virtually no sleep. I was sleeping about an hour and a half, two hours a night. Wow. And I just could not get my sleep in order. It turns out what happened was I didn't know it at the time, but I was overtraining for an ultra event that I was getting ready for. And I just completely fried out my adrenals. And, you know, I just couldn't, I could not settle my mind or my body down. Wow. Lost like 30 pounds and I don't have 30 pounds to lose. And I was physically, mentally, emotionally just gone. And I was a burden on, I was a burden on my wife. I couldn't work. She had to do everything. Like I was literally just nothing. And I told myself my family would be better off without me because right now, because my doctors even told me, they're like, dude, if you don't get this sleep thing in order, you're going to have a heart attack or a stroke or be a vegetable. Like you've got to get this figured out. And I was on every, they were trying me on every type of medication possible to get me to sleep. I couldn't. And I'll never forget. My wife was going to leave to take the boys to Great Wolf Lodge that we had scheduled a trip and I couldn't go. I was like, there's no way I can be in a hotel with everybody and try to have a good time at this water park and be 25 plus days without sleep. Like I just couldn't do it. And I'll never forget looking at my wife because I kind of had this plan. She's going to leave and I'm going to go ahead and relieve everybody of the burden that I'm putting on them. And I don't know what it was in me, but I looked at my wife and I just very vulnerably with like tears in my eyes, I said, she was getting ready to leave to go. And I go, please don't go. And she's like, why? And I was like, I don't know how to tell you this. If you leave, I'm not going to be here when you get back. And at that point in time, she knew like it was bad. And I think she was kind of, she knew how bad it was, but I don't think it really hit her. Cause at the time she was trying so hard to just keep up with four boys in the house and everything going on and just pick up the slack. And then when she saw that, she was like, Oh my God, this is bad. Yeah. So we went to the emergency room and I admitted myself in the hospital and that was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it saved my life. And what I can tell you is that a lot of men get to that point, whether it's, you know, sleep deprivation or stress or overwhelm, what, it doesn't matter. It's, it's something right. But here's what I'll tell you. I got on a Zoom call with that man's wife after he took his life. His uh, <clears throat> his daughter was was there as well. She's 17. He had a son who's 15. And the three of them were on a Zoom call with me and two other men from the Alliance. Uncle Joe was one of them. I know, Tony, you know who Uncle Joe is. He does the Q&As with me on the podcast. Because I, I, told, I told Uncle Joe, I was like, I got to get on this Zoom call with this family and I, I can't, I can't do it by myself. And when these three people, the, the wife and the, the son and the daughter, 15, 17 and the wife, it didn't even take two seconds of seeing them on the zoom call and their faces, there was no life in their face. Like there was nothing there. I've never seen a human. I've never seen three human beings more emotionally devastated and the physical toll that that even took on them, it, it was like seeing something I'd never seen. And we spent about 45 minutes on that Zoom call with, with the three of them. And luckily, like Dad Edge Alliance, we have amazing men. We raised 10 grand 
as a community in a GoFundMe account. And that's one of the reasons we got on the Zoom call with her was because we wanted to tell her like, hey, we we raised $10,000 for you and your family. We want to, we just need to know where to send this. It's amazing. And seeing their feedback and hearing the story of their dad and their husband, I was like, oh my God, like if every man who's considering this could see this right now, they would, they would make a different choice. And I guess the reason I'm getting emotional about it is because that could have been somebody talking to Jessica and my four boys. And I just want all men to know your life is worth it. Even if you're in that season where you don't think it is, people love you. People depend on you. You're not nearly the burden that you think that you're telling yourself that you are. You're bigger and better than that. And if you're going through something like that, I will tell you point blank saying, I need help and I can't do this alone is the hardest thing you're ever going to say when you're in that situation. But it's also the moment that the pressure release gets lifted and you're like, I'm just going to let somebody else take the wheel and take care of me for a minute. And that was a humbling moment, but a great moment at the same time. Cause I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys had I not made that decision myself. So I get it, man. I really get it. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Um, obviously my heart, our hearts go out to that family too. And I think you're highlighting something really important, which is, um, you know, uh, this is serious stuff too. <laughs> um, it's incredibly, it's incredibly serious and it can have such an effect on not just yourself, but your family as well. And, um, I know you're speaking from the experience as a man and for women as well, you know, one of the, uh, one of the groups of people that we often coach are women who struggle with postpartum depression. And the same thing can happen for women as well, where unfortunately, um, which I've struggled with twice postpartum depression, you know, those negative thoughts can enter the mind. And I just want to applaud you for creating a space where men specifically can come to be vulnerable and to have a place where they feel like they have support. So thank you for that. Um, and thank you for sharing your story um, because it's it's incredibly serious and we can talk about all of these empowering and uplifting things. And yeah, at the same time, it's um, it can be incredibly serious too. Yeah. And I think we've hinted at what the Dad Edge does to offer tools, support and community um, for men. But can you talk about the different levels of the Dad Edge? And if somebody is listening and wants to join the Dad Edge, how they can get in contact and how they can get that valuable support if they need it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a couple different things that we have, and I'll kind of go through them each briefly. You know, if you're a podcast listener, you know, we've got a couple free resources. Number one is the podcast. If you're looking to up-level your connection with your wife, I've got a couple of resources. One is called 21 Days to an Extraordinary Marriage. It's an email series that teaches you just a couple skills over email on how to connect and communicate with your wife better. And then there's another free resource called 25 Intimate Conversation Starters. Um, you can find those in the resources tab of our website at thedadedge.com. Um, it's just totally free. You can dive into it if you want. Um, Dad Edge Alliance, uh, that is um, our program that we've had now since 2016. And uh, we have nearly 800 men that do life with us on the daily. We have almost 50 Zoom sessions per week, seven days a week uh, on different topics that we help men and we teach men skills and that kind of thing. Uh, and we do it in a community group level, in a group coaching environment. Uh, the second thing we have is uh, called Dad Edge Accelerator. That's for dads who are business owners. So if you're a dad business owner, the reason we have a separate program for that is because if you're a business owner, your your mind is wired just a bit differently and <laughs> you operate just a little bit differently. Not 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 better or worse, but usually that's that's a lot to say that if you're a business owner, your your mental and emotional and even physical bandwidth is usually there's a lot more heaviness on that than, you know, someone who can, you know, who just drives for, you know, they they drive for FedEx or something like that, which is still a great job. I'm not not downing that, but like having a job like that, you can punch the time card, come home and that's it. You know, if you're a business owner, it's a bit different. Um, and then the third one is I, I do do some one-on-one -on, one -on -one coaching. I only take on four clients at a time, but I have one-on-one -on -one right now. I don't, I don't have any room in my calendar for that, but I do one-on-one -on -one coaching for men and that specifically in marriage with connection, communication, intimacy. 
Amazing. And I guess the the final question is, uh, if you're able to speak about it, you have one uh, adult book called The Dad Edge. You have a couple kids books, but I hear you have a new book that's coming out. I don't know what you're able to share about on that, but if yeah. people can want to look into that or if maybe they don't have time or they, the story they tell themselves is they don't have time for The Dad Edge, but they want to read uh, about what you're all about, um, where could they find that that kind of thing? Yeah. So I have a couple of kids books, you know, like, um, daddy will always love you and protect you. It's a great book to read to your kids, uh, screen time, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a kid's book, but it's great for parents to read to their kids. It basically talks about the good things, the not so great things about screen times and just boundaries around that. Um, the book, the dad edge, I launched that back in 2015. That's about your most basic book as it relates to any type of thing with marriage or communication or patience. It's really, really basic though. Uh, the book that you're talking about was supposed to release back in September. Uh, it's called The Pursuit of Legendary Fatherhood. That's the big one. Um, 285 pages, 85,000 words. Um, it was supposed to be launched, but my publisher went bankrupt. But the good news about that is um, we are now engaging in what we, what we call the big five publishing houses. So I have an agent who's now working for me, which is great. And That's she's awesome. trying to land us a book deal. So the book's totally done. Um, cover every, everything's done, edited, designed, everything. We're just waiting for an offer at this point, but hopefully it'll be out in two, you know, sometime within spring of 2023. I would say that's the long one. Hopefully it's the beginning, but I don't know. I'm not sure when, when we're going to get our deal. It's amazing. Well, I know we'll certainly be purchasing a copy. Um, it's, it's been a wonderful privilege to get to talk to you and thank you so much for your time and sharing with us and, I hope for our listeners, you will go and check out these amazing resources. Um, I think it's great that you have things offered at different levels, depending on, you know, maybe what people's time permit or their financial accessibility to different things. So thank you for that as well. And Larry, you're a hero to me, to my family. Um, I cannot understate the extent to which your struggle turning into a strength turning into a community that supports one another has impacted my marriage, my family, and my coaching practice. So I just want to say personally, thank you so much, not only for sharing the conversation, but for sharing your story with the world. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate you as well. It's good. So, so good meeting you. Yes, you as well. (laughs) Wow. What an episode. Thank you for listening. We hope you took some meaningful tools and skills that empower you to become your highest self in every way. We also hope you'll help us spread our messages of solidarity, social support, and consciousness raising by subscribing to our YouTube channel at Mindful and Fit and offering us an honest five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing so helps more people hear these important messages of love, healing, and becoming. And as always, much love from the Johnson family. We hope you make today amazing. Just Just like like you. you.